0: Welcome to episode 25 of Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson.
1: I'm Connor Izagari.
0: And this is our very first Best Picture Showdown, starring the five films from 1979. Connor and I watched all five Best Picture nominees. That'd be the 52nd Academy Awards. That includes Norma Ray, Breaking Away, Apocalypse Now, All That Jazz, and the winner, Kramer vs. Kramer. Now, we're going to give some awards out to Kramer vs. Kramer later on, but I do want to talk about 1979 for a minute what a crazy year these five films awesome we're going to talk a lot about them throughout the show but you know alien <laughs> the the brood <laughs> these are some uh filmgasm favorites right yeah uh, is there is there anything else that stands out to you from 1979
1: well personally as a bond fan this is the year of moonraker yes <laughs> maybe the most ridiculous james bond movie ever made bond in space saving the world from you know literal extinction it's bonkers it's incredibly difficult to explain to somebody who's not a bond fan already but it is such a guilty pleasure movie and it really stands out as a highlight of that year i think and kind of a great send-off for the 70s era of bond oh yeah dude that's one i've yet to see but i've heard
0: so many awesome crazy things about it (laughs) uh you you and my good friend matt stepter have both said that it's awesome that i have to see it so i will one day whenever it pops up on filmgasm that'll be a great episode uh but man uh the brood is such an interesting one because we did it not too too long ago as an episode on filmgasm and it kind of blew both of us away right it's a david cronenberg film for 1979 and it's you know purebred whore nasty gritty not for everybody kind of movie and it very much parallels a lot of things that are happening in kramer vs kramer <laughs> and you know so i decided to do a little research because uh i'm this is uh my second time watching kramer vs. kramer and watching the brood it was like oh what the fuck you know what's going on there and you know i read a little bit little bit about it and cronenberg had heard about this movie vs. kramer and read the script and you know it was like oh i'm i'm gonna make something that's more you know realistic to me and of course cronenberg <laughs> This, this wacko, you know, this guy who had made, at the time, what did he made? Rabid. Um, shivers. Let's see, shivers. Yeah, this is, this is the 70s. So this is early, you know, early crony. And this is when he's doing really, really, really bizarre stuff. And I thought that was so fascinating, man. Because when you rewatch Kramer, oh, there it is. You know, you're like, oh, the kid's hair, everything. <laughs> it's like, Just kind of the tone of it, the colors. What the hell?
1: <laughs> Cronenberg's definition of realism is fascinating in its own right that he thought this movie wasn't scary enough for like what a divorce should be yeah included demon spawn to make it a little bit more realistic (laughs) makes me wonder like what the hell does he consider to be horror (laughs) (laughs) god
0: yeah i don't think we've ever seen that no the brood the brood is something else you know it's uh at the time we recorded that i i said that i think it's one of the creepiest films that we've ever covered on, on the podcast. And I stand by that still. Uh, I think it's available on Criterion still to watch. And I highly, highly suggest it <laughs> as a kind of double feature with Kramer, if you can stomach that. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. But, uh, but Alien, you know, Alien is a genre-bending, you know, fuck, you know, sci-fi, drama, all these things, action, and leads to one of the greatest sequels of all time. We love this movie. <laughs> yeah. And and I, I think it's safe to say that we both kind of wish it was in the Best Picture 5.
1: That would be nice. I think Alien is a film that broke new ground in 1979. For me, I think it's the highlight of that year. I think Alien is the movie that should have been recognized. It did get a little bit of love. I think it won visual effects. Yeah, yeah. It's technical, yeah. yeah. Of course, you know, horror when it comes to the Oscars tends to go straight to the technical stuff. If anything else, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that. I would like some more love alien, especially because it's such an important movie for horror for Ridley Scott, for Sigourney Weaver, for film itself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it should have one of those five spots. Yeah. And, and, and later
0: on we'll, we'll have that discussion on what we would take out. Right. Because the, the 52nd Academy Awards you, you got some powerhouse stuff going on here, powerhouse stuff, oh, yeah. you know, vs. Kramer, the film we're talking about, you know, takes best picture It also had nine nominations altogether and all that jazz also had nine. Those are the two highest. And then Kramer's Kramer took five home. That's the most, this is a heavy hitter kind of year, you know, and Johnny Carson hosted it famously. And there's all kinds of jokes that were going on. He, <clears throat> he famously made a joke about Jimmy Carter during the, during the ceremony and uh, you know, it's, uh, it's the seventies man, you know, and well, this is in 1980, the actual uh, ceremony, but it's kind of celebrating the end of the seventies. Right. Which is my favorite decade for, for American film and for the Oscars for sure. I think they chose a lot of the right films for best picture. I think they had a lot of really good films up for best picture, you know, during, during that time. And the, these films, you know, like were very successful. Right. Whereas now they'd be kind of niche films and would have only a specific audience or would go straight to Netflix or, well, we saw that marriage story, right. Which is so similar to Kramer versus Kramer. Yep. It does go, it does go straight to Netflix. Whereas these kind of films back when they came out were a very big deal, you know, very big deal. Uh, Kramer versus Kramer is uh, operating on a $8 million budget and makes over a hundred million dollars at the box office. You just, you don't really see that kind of shit with a, you know, really, you know, gritty legal drama, <laughs> you know, between, between these, these, uh, this mom and dad um, it's fascinating. And then, you know, you can go down the line, norm marais breaking away all that jazz, you know, apocalypse now, good Lord. These are awesome, awesome movies that stand kind of on their own. And I, I just don't see that happening a whole lot these days. You know, it, it's, it's, it's rare for you to have, these five very different, very, you know, credible. And they, they all offer something.
1: Well, I mean, there's a reason for that. You know, we see over the course of the decades, we see significant landscape changes in Hollywood. We see significant difference in what people go to see. I mean, after 2000 superhero movies were the big thing and that hasn't changed. So, you know, a film like Avengers Endgame is going to snake major box office away from a movie like Jojo Rabbit. Yes, but there's still a place to see these movies and celebrate these movies. And I think that we try to do that as often as possible, try to give kind of even ground to the blockbusters and the indie dramas, because we love it all, but Yeah, 100%. not a lot of people do.
0: No, no. And, and sometimes you don't know what you like until you just are exposed to it. Right. And mm-hmm. these, these five films, it's such a great example, right? And I'll, I'll open up to you now. Uh, this is your first time seeing Kramer Kramer
1: Why? Uh admittedly uh for the longest time i had just assumed that this was a wash i just assumed that no film ever could have beaten apocalypse now rightfully considered you know one of the greatest war dramas of all time so i just kind of thought you know why bother it's not gonna be that good and then you know circumstances leading to the podcast i had to watch it and i could not fucking believe it it's one of the most incredible Dramas I've ever seen. It's incredibly well acted, beautifully written, super realistic, and absolutely deserve the win. So it really is a film I never would have watched it without this podcast. You're welcome. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know, this is you know you you know me well enough now. This is this is my fucking wheelhouse. This is me. This is what I like live for in my movie mind and when I search for things. I want to be hit and I want to be hit hard and Kramer's Kramer right out of the gate does that and, and kind of, you know, keeps raising the bar with yeah. the first, you the first hour or so of the film and then lets you sit for a second and then hits you harder again. And then, you know, really, really lays it on you. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's heavy as shit. And I know that you um, have, Uh, had your own personal life experiences with your parents. And Mm -hmm. just like we all, just like we all have right to whether it be pleasant or not. And this movie puts that shit on the table and it's nice to see a movie, be honest about it. It's nice to, it's nice to see a movie um, not totally take sides. It's gray, it's gray a little bit, a little bit, a little bit.
1: (laughs) Well, I think it's nice to see a movie that, we like where we get to see a dad be a good dad, like a, a good single dad movie. There's not a lot of those out there. Usually they're played for laughs, or you know, it's it's reversed where dad leaves mom and mom has to fend for herself, and we're you know supporting the mom the whole time. But Dustin Hoffman's performance as Ted Kramer really endears you. You really feel for this guy. Every you know, there's no he didn't you know abuse his wife. He didn't abuse his kid. He wasn't a bad person. He just wasn't listening, and you know, Joanna had her reasons for leaving, but it did cause Ted's life to nearly fall apart. And he had to step up on every level. He had to be a good father. He had to be a good provider and it cost him dearly. And when, when Joanna just comes back into his life and is like, I want to be a mom again, I, you know, you get his pain. Like you don't get to say that after what you did, you don't get to just waltz back in here and be a mom. I get it man. I understand his like fuck no, this movie makes you take sides big time. <laughs> for me at least.
0: I that's that I I love that. I love that. And I think for sure, you know, Hoffman, you know, Ted Ted Kramer is gets a lot of screen time. A lot of the screen time, right? Yeah. And we're we're definitely sh- we're shown his side of things. Yeah. And then she comes back in, you know, and explains, you know, Ex, you know explains yourself right and he's like i'm not having that you know for for me the way i see it now is her intentions joanna's intentions yeah they're not they're not good at, uh, initially uh, at the beginning of the film and she's she's you know leaving the situation not cool you know you just don't yeah. do that you don't do that shit and uh, w- w- when there's a kid involved you don't do that
1: yeah, if it was if there was no kid, you know, do it, you know, go do you. But when you have yeah, a child, yeah. there's yeah. an entirely new level of responsibility that you are bound to, and yeah. to, to break that responsibility is fucking horrific.
0: Uh, agreed. And now, you know, when the film keeps moving and we have uh, we get the perspective that he wasn't present, you know, and he admits it. He's like, I was, you know, on this huge account at work, and yeah, I wasn't. My mind wasn't totally on my family, you know, the past couple months or whatever he says. And so you're like, Oh shit, that sucks. And you're like, yeah, it still doesn't, that still doesn't allow you to leave. And then, and then my mind goes to a, to a deeper place of, well, would he have ever done any of those things? Had she not left?
1: No, I don't think he would have. I think that it would have continued so, business as usual
0: she becomes she becomes uh frustrating for sure but at the same time for him in the long run that was good for him
1: it was good for him because you know that that was a toxic relationship it was about to become I, really bad and and he and
0: he Whoa, oh, yeah i mean we'll we'll we're, i have a feeling when we give out the awards for Kramer vs. kramer we're gonna you know talk a lot about just certain scenes you know Yeah, because because there are there are moments right where I'm like, oh, my God, Ted's becoming a man, you know. Uh, And it's, you know, it's it it can kind of relate to anyone Uh, for me. You know, I have uh, a daughter who's almost two and there are there's a few scenes in there that are like, oh, my God. Yeah, that shit's real. When you and another little human are just hanging out. That's it for them. That is it. There's nothing else going on. They're hanging out with you. That's it. That's what's going on. They're looking to you for the next, what's the next thing. And it is frightening, you know, and this movie captures that. It also captures the parental stuff and it's a big one, man. It's a big one. I I love that you stand behind that alien defines 1979 though. um, Because it does, it does. As far as, the horror, the sci-fi, you know, the genre thing, and how it is so so ahead of its time, right? Yeah. Kramer vs. Cram- Kramer can be made in almost any decade, you know. Yeah, um, made it last year, exactly. Noah Baumbach, well done. That was an incredible homage and a fantastic film. <laughs> uh, added a awesome some awesome twist to it to, to that kind of storytelling. Uh, I I just a, Alien. Alien's like a, a Beatles album. It's just like it's ahead of its time. It, it, it doesn't really make sense that it came out when it did. How is this over 40 years old? I don't know, you know? Whereas these other films, you, you get it. You understand it, you know? Okay, yeah, these are 70s movies. And Alien, whoa, no. So I, I love that you stand by that, that it kind of defines because I, I kind of feel the same way. <laughs> I yep. love Kramer. I love Apocalypse Now. I love all that jazz. Uh, and I love Norma Ray. Holy shit. But Alien is just this powerhouse badass movie that that just because it kind of went under the radar with the Oscars, I kind of yeah. like it more.
1: Well, when I look back at films, you know, of the previous century, the big yeah. thing I always look for is legacy. Yeah. You know, what lasted? What still holds up today? What established, you know, a franchise or, a, you know, a director's career, an actor's career? What movie do we have to thank for what we have today? and alien is right at the top of that list yeah yes
0: yeah it influenced so many things and again spawned one of the most badass sequels of all time
1: yes yes indeed (laughs) i think you actually you like the sequel better don't you i do as much as i love alien aliens is a balls to the wall beautiful bastard of a movie it's it's
0: one (laughs) of the best 80s uh 80s films yeah for sure uh so good <laughs> i love it well let, let, let's talk a bit about you know um some of the awards that kramer's kramer was nominated for at the 52nd academy Awards. so we'll start kind of with the uh the minor stuff work our way up to that best picture conversation because we did watch all five
1: yes we did and we have and a lot f- to talk about
0: <laughs> and for you that would have been um you would have been re-watching apocalypse now yeah but the but the others were you you were watching for the first time yes Okay, and for me, I was rewatching Kramer, Apocalypse Now, and all that jazz, but I had never seen Norma Ray or Breaking Away.
1: I love when it's, you know, going in blind is is a cool feeling, because you don't know if this is going to be trash, or if this is going to be one of your new favorite movies. You never know. And yeah, and, and, and we've been just living. We've been living right here. I even watched uh, Wise
0: Blood, <laughs> 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 that, that crazy, crazy John Huston film that- what we will certainly do on filmgasm it's it's ripe for that podcast uh Brad Dourif oh boy <laughs> unbelievable performance so yeah I just been living in 1979 watching as many films as we can and knocking those five
1: out it is so much fun hell yeah man so let's start at the bottom for the four uh Oscars that Kramer versus Kramer did not win starting with yes film editing yes we have the Rose, Kramer versus Kramer, the Black Stallion, Apocalypse Now, and the winner, all that jazz. Uh, the Rose and the Black Stallion, sorry, folks, but that one those are those are excluded. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we, we can't say much about those. <laughs> but in terms of film editing, I get why all that jazz took took this one. That's uh yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a monster all that jazz is uh you know a very bizarre film right bob fossey and sort of like a autobiographical film uh you know changes changes name uh roy Schreider's playing joe gideon who's a you know director who's addicted to you know pills a womanizer and is semi-autobiographical you know is is how everybody knows it and Bob Fosse was uh, finishing the editing pieces on Lenny from 1974, which is a fantastic film starring Dustin Hoffman as Lenny. And then you got um, him working on Chicago in 1975, a New York, you know, fucking stage play. So he's doing these two things at once. Uh, and the film, All That Jazz, is kind of about that process, right? And uh, kind of an alternate, you know, take on it. And it moves like nothing, you know, like nothing you've ever seen. You understand guys like Paul Thomas Anderson so much more. The hard cutting, uh, even Martin Scorsese, I think, you know, is someone who probably watched this movie and was like, "Uh oh, I think I want to," you know, just, just, just doing it. The having the balls to not, not care. I'm gonna have the camera move like wild, and uh, it's, it's incredible. All that jazz. If uh,
1: you haven't seen it. I highly highly recommend it. Well said. I'll save my thoughts for all that jazz the further we get in. Okay.
0: Yeah. Well, it'll be <laughs> it'll be here because that and Kramer versus Kramer had the most nominations.
1: Yeah, they were pretty neck and neck. Yeah. Uh that takes us to cinematography, where we have Kramer versus Kramer, the black hole, all that jazz, 1941, and the winter apocalypse now. And uh I've always wanted to see 1941, but I have not yet gotten to it. It's one of the few Spielbergs I haven't gotten to check out yet. Same, man. I have not seen that either. And, uh, you know, Toshiro Mifune is the bad guy.
0: I know. No, I know. We, yeah, we, uh, <laughs> obviously, you know, talked about Akira Kurosawa last week and Toshiro at great length. Yeah. Gotta, gotta see that. We gotta find, yeah, we gotta get a hold of that one.
1: Uh, the black hole is one of Disney's lesser known movies. Uh, sci-fi thriller from 79 that i haven't also not gotten to see but is available on disney plus for anybody who wants to check that out uh yeah i think apocalypse now unrivaled in cinematography this was the oscar it was going to get
0: oh well this is this is this is a it's like a hands down kind of thing not even close uh this man vittorio he's like uh he's a legend when it comes to this this part of this craft uh, you know, he won for Apocalypse Now, Reds, and The Last Emperor. Uh, he's only one of three living people to win the award three times. That'd be Robert, Robert Richardson, Emmanuel Lubieski, and himself. Uh, he's 80 years old. The guy is just a fucking legend. Uh, these are the these are the, these are the names that you should know when it comes to film. When it comes to the Oscars, these are the guys that make the film move, have the pace, have that that tempo that you want and they're very, very important artists and they don't get nearly enough praise because you always see that director's name or you'll see the person who wrote it. Well, there's also a guy who's in charge of angles and how the camera is going to see things and lighting (laughs) and figuring out they go to school for this shit, you know, and they um, they're very important people. And he's one of those guys that that's uh, it's kind of like when he comes out with a film, some of his other ones, uh, Last Tango in Paris, Dick Tracy, Cafe Society, Wonder Wheel, 1900 come on you know like what are we doing here (laughs) (laughs) he's a freak of nature so yeah definitely a deserved win for apocalypse now
1: yeah and if you want to learn more about cinematographers um they come up on the credits as director of photography and uh those are the guys you want to keep an eye out on we clearly have much love for cinematographers when we named our best scene award after roger deakins maybe the best to ever do it
0: yeah yeah well yeah yeah, i mean i think for us for Fans our age in our generation, I think Deacons is the guy that we'll just kind of—he's been around for all these films we love to rewatch and go back to, and of course his his
1: uh, input in the Coens' career, right, is is huge. Hell yeah, man! Um, so we're gonna <coughs> we're gonna skip the acting ones for now and talk. Yeah, move on to that later. So let's talk best adapted screenplay. Uh, yes, which Kramer versus Kramer did take. Uh, we have Norma Ray. A Little Romance, La Cage All Full, Apocalypse Now, and Kramer versus Kramer. And uh, yeah, this screenplay is pretty tight. I think uh, this, is, this is well deserved. But Norma Ray, I think, was its uh, competition here.
0: Yeah, you know, Apocalypse Now, uh, of course, has so many wonderful, wonderful bits and these pieces of dialogue that, that will last forever. But I think you and I are both in the, on the same page when it comes to the screenplay and the Oscar for screenplay tight, tight is what we kind of want. Yeah. The, the, um, the Kramer screenplay is, is something I I looked it up actually online and it is, it's just, it whips, you know, moves like fucking lightning. So, uh, and Hoffman's still perfect for that. You know, uh, we love, we love that kind of writing. You know, we did a, episode on sorkin for episode 23 so yeah we 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 love that kind of tight style
1: hell yeah and apocalypse now is a cool movie it's not that strong in the story department it does kind of just jump around a lot and it's based on a novel from 1899 so it reimagines a lot i wouldn't call it a good adaptation but it is a great movie yeah but yeah, I think screenplay was not its strength. I think Kramer versus Kramer is built. Like its foundation is its screenplay. And yeah, I think that I'm glad I took this one. Yeah, hell yeah. That takes us to Best Director. Oh yeah, yeah. This, is a, this is a cool group. <laughs> oh yeah. We have Edouard Molinaro for La Cage au Full, And I don't speak French. That's the Birdcage, the original version. Uh, Peter Yates for Breaking Away. Francis Ford Coppola for Apocalypse Now, Bob Fosse for All That Jazz, and the winner Robert Benton for Kramer versus Kramer. Coppola versus Fosse versus Benton. This is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and I do think that Benton should not have gotten this one.
0: What say you? You think Francis Ford Coppola?
1: Yes, absolutely. This I think the shit he went through to make this movie. The constant setbacks the fat Brando, the Martin Sheen heart attack, everything that went wrong, that man should have gotten gold for the masterpiece he crafted and all that shit.
0: (laughs) I agree with you, when you, especially when you know all that stuff, but I think it's kind of obvious even before that. Um, Apocalypse Now uh, you would think would be the film that that you and I would tackle from 1979 for this show, but we wanted to send it around the winner, and I'm glad we did. Uh, because Kramer Kramer vs Kramer is so strong. But Apocalypse Now is obviously the the dude movie. Yeah. Of the of this group, of this Oscar ceremony. Yes. And uh it's hard to, you know, we're both 25 year old dudes. It's hard to kind of talk about it without just being like, oh my god, incredible shit. Cause it is, because that's that's what it is. I feel I feel the same way about Fight Club and Pulp Fiction. It's like Ah, sorry, you're just going to hear me, you know, (laughs) you're going to, you know, that's just how it is. It's one of those films. And that's 100% because Francis was behind the camera in the chair uh, in control of what was going on, uh, quite possibly at the, you know, peak uh, peak of his craft when it comes to directing, you know, the guy coming off of coming off those two Godfather films, you know, He's, he's he's just so special to the 70s to kind of finish it off with that. I, I I don't think it's just, you know, something you should give to him for that. I think it is that good of a movie and I think it does yeah. move that well because of him. Uh, Robert Benton, great stuff. And, and Bob Fossey, you know, just really, really out there, but not everybody is going to dig all that jazz. Whereas Kramer vs. Kramer, Apocalypse Now, uh, it's going to be a hard time for me. It's going to be hard for me to understand if someone doesn't like it.
1: And as much as I did enjoy breaking away, I think you take out Peter Yates and I think you put in Ridley Scott for alien.
0: Oh, come on. Yeah, no doubt. And he's and Ridley Scott would be second place right behind Francis. So
1: yeah. <laughs> Killer. Let's talk actors. Yes, let's we, do it. So Justin Henry was up for best supporting actor. He is still the youngest nominee to ever be nominated for an Oscar at eight years old, eight unbelievable.
0: <laughs> how, how old? How old is
1: a uh, Jacob Tremblay? Like twelve or something? Yeah, I think he missed the boat on on that one.
0: Yeah, I was just wondering. I know there's been you know uh the child from Beast of the Southern Wild. Um, I think she was nine. There's, yeah, yeah. There's been there's been there's been those you know those random ones that there's this like you know string of talent that comes out of this this child. It's crazy. And and Kramer's Kramer. Justin Henry is a huge part of why this movie works.
1: Yeah, he's fantastic for like I heard, you know, I was written into the trivia. Him and Hoffman would improvise scenes like the kid was committed. I'm, I'm impressed. Oh, man, Hoffman. Yeah, we'll get to him. <laughs> so his competition, we have Mickey Rooney for the Black Stallion, Justin Henry for Kramer versus Kramer, Frederick Forrest for the Rose, Robert Duvall for Apocalypse Now, and the winner Melvin Douglas for Being There. Being There is another 79 movie that has been on my radar for a long time, but I have not yet gotten a chance to check out Uh, Peter Sellers. And I I would like to watch that at some point.
0: Of course. Of course. And Melvin Douglas, this is also interesting because Justin Henry being eight years old, Melvin Douglas was like 78 or something at the time. So that's the largest gap ever and probably will be for the rest of time. 70 years uh, between
1: nominees. Incredible. And as much as I love Robert Duvall in Apocalypse Now, just this crazy surfing lieutenant colonel who's just like, you know, fuck it. Like, fuck Charlie, we're surfing. Crazy. But I do think that... I think Brando should have been up. I think... Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it's weird because I don't want to give him credit for this. All right, so Marlon Brando showed up to the set of Apocalypse Now... 50, 60 pounds overweight, and he had not read the script. They wanted a burly, badass, you know, Marine general like this or colonel. This guy was supposed to be like, you know, fucking Patton. But instead, Brando was like, fuck everything. I'm going to see how far I can go before somebody tells me to fuck off and did that the rest of his career. So but (laughs) despite that, they filmed him in shadow to make him look more menacing and hide the fat, and we got one of the one of the creepiest, most intimidating villains of the seventies in Colonel Walter E. Kurtz. And Brando, I think, should have been up for that. Yeah, I agree.
0: I I, I think it's kind of weird this guy who's was so celebrated by the Academy, and of course, he had his issues with the Academy. We talked about that. We did on the waterfront. I think that was episode ten. And um, you know, Brando is we've talked about how he's arguably the best, you know, he's in that, he's in that territory. And so it is just interesting that he wasn't even nominated.
1: It is weird. You know, I I think Martin Sheen got like big time ignored. It's I don't, I just, I wonder why Robert Duvall was the one who walked away with a nomination from from the cast of apocalypse. Now it's, it's a fairly minor and kind of underwhelming role. I would say, I would say compared to everyone else who really shines in that movie. Yeah, I agree. I'm like, you never know what these people, you, you never know what they're going to do. It's weird. It's like, ah, uh, let's go, let's go Robert Duvall. Yeah, it's been a minute. Yeah. Let's talk best supporting actress. This was interesting. We had two people up from Kramer versus Kramer. First up, we had Mariel Hemingway for Manhattan, Candace Bergen for starting over, Barbara Barry for breaking away, Jane Alexander for Kramer versus Kramer and the winner Meryl Streep for Kramer versus Kramer. And yeah, this was kind of like nobody was taking this one. This was her, you know, Streep's first Oscar. Uh one of 3 she would win throughout her career still ongoing. Probably going to get nominated next year for God knows what. And um, I think she's very strong in Kramer versus Kramer. She's playing such a character who is doing something so despicable, but there's something about her performance you can't help but just pity her. It's it's very strange. Oh yeah, you get
0: you get an influx of uh, characters that still that remind me of this character of Joanna, uh, Skylar white from breaking bad, you know, this, this kind of like, ah, fuck kind of gray shit. You're kind of, you know, in it for the wrong reasons sometimes, but also, I don't know, it's, it's so tough and that's life, you know, authentic. It's super authentic. And Meryl Streep, for her to be doing this, you know, the deer hunter and, you know, doing this thing, Sophie's choice in the 82 and just starts off right out of the gate becomes Hollywood's darling and kind of takes the mantle and she is spectacular in the, you know, little bit, she gets at the beginning of the film and then the, you know, slowly she gets peppered throughout. And then at the end she's in, you know, she's in it quite a bit and she's incredible. She's incredible. You know what Scarlett Johansson is doing in marriage story, you know, come on. Like it's, it's crazy. The influence she has Meryl Streep, the subtlety, the professionalism that she carries Streep is the fucking bomb, man. She's, she's incredible. 100% deserve this. Even I, I haven't seen the others. I would love to, uh, well, I haven't seen starting over, uh, Manhattan. I need to see again. I've only seen it once, but I, I have a hard time. Meryl Streep. That's just a heat check, like
1: perfect performance it is pretty remarkable and i think that i remember reading that the original like the way the character was written is as a pure cut and dry villain for the story but street brought such a unparalleled humanity to that performance that it really does kind of force you to stand in the middle
0: yeah for a minute you know you
1: like at least you're thinking about it you think about it Until the lawyer brings up the injury at the playground, I was like, I was on the fence. But the second that happened, I'm like, oh, you cold bitch. But then it was like, I didn't do it. It's an, yeah, (laughs) we'll get to it. (laughs) So tough. Uh, Let's go to best actor. This was a loaded fucking category. These five incredible, timeless performers all up against each other. We have Peter Sellers for being there, Roy Scheider for all that jazz, Al Pacino for And Justice for All, Jack Lemon for the China Syndrome, and the winner Dustin Hoffman for *Kramer Versus Kramer*. Jesus Christ! Only in the 70s could you have those five titans up for one Oscar.
0: Yep. Yeah. This is this is this is what it's all about. You know, you watch stuff and rewatch stuff and do research and you know, find these categories and see these five names next to each other and kind of blows your mind It definitely, you know, you've, you've already voiced how you want to see uh, being there. Oh my God. We, we've got to see that, but uh, I'll go ahead and say, I, I think, uh, I think my man Roy Schreiter think should have won this award. I think uh, his performance as Joe Gideon is like barbaric and he's acting a lot, doing a lot, a lot of acting and he captures something that that's, that's not easy to do. He's capturing, and this is, you know, this is fucking, you know, you're going to need a bigger boat, you know? And four years later, you're watching him spiral out of control And with the lens I have of being, you know, in my 20s and I'm, you know, watching these old movies from the 70s. And that just that kind of shocks me that a guy can completely 180 like that um, with performances that are both so strong with something like in Jaws and then all that jazz. It it really kind of shocks me. And when I was rewatching it, that's I, I, I couldn't take my eyes off the guy. Uh, and that, that finale, you know, I think I'm going to die. You know, he is. It, it, it's kind of like I dare you to do what I'm doing. He, he's kind of doing. What I felt a, a bit of what Joaquin Phoenix is doing in Joker, just kind of like who the fuck who the fuck is willing to do this. Um, I think I think Philip Seymour Hoffman had that. I think he had. You know, uh, in the master, I think he had that drive like who who's willing to go there Pro- probably not anyone and they know that and it's cool to watch that I I love performances that go there like that so I uh, I think Roy Scheider should have taken this
1: interesting because I'm if we're talking those five I'm on team Hoffman I think Dustin Hoffman doing things in Kramer versus Kramer that very few actors had the ability to do at that time. I think that he transforms into Ted Kramer, just a regular dude who's forced to, you know, step up and be a dad for the first time in his life. Really. Is a, it's a mesmerizing performance. It's a beautiful performance. It's humanizing. And I think he, I, yeah, I'm glad he walked away with gold, but in a perfect world, this Oscar goes to Martin Sheen.
0: Yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, for sure. In a perfect world. Isn't it, isn't it funny how I, uh, you know, last year I, I thought Adam Driver should have beat Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> and now I think I, in, in 1979, I think Roy Scheider, the weirdo performance should have beat the Hoffman, the um, really authentic, just incredible hall of fame performance from Hoffman. I have no problem with him taking this. He, he also, uh, when he's walking around the city, You realize how short he is, you know, and it, and it adds specifically adds to, to Ted.
1: Yeah. He's got a chip on his shoulder.
0: Oh yeah. And how he, the way he's carrying his briefcase and his papers and just kind of like, you know, the buildings are swallowing him up, but he's willing to fight, you know, and he's just swimming through the city. Like it, it is incredible how it's able to capture that while it's also doing all the family stuff and all the stuff with, with Justin Henry, uh, crazy <laughs> so good
1: well in the opening you know in the first part of this movie i mean we see him suffer the ultimate emasculation you know he his wife leaves him and he keeps saying you know, "Oh, she'll come crawling back oh she's gonna call it's gonna happen any day now and she's gone for like two years and he has to build himself back up that's what the whole movie is about is ted kramer kind of finding his own strength in a way his own strength of being a father and being there for his son and knowing that nobody else is going to do it. He has to do it. And that's just so powerful to me. That that drive and the way Hoffman plays it. He could be a colossal dick the whole time. He could be a you know an abusive husband. He could be a bad person. But he's not. He's just a guy who wasn't paying attention when it mattered the most. And he's suffering for it.
0: Yeah. And- oh, man, that's fascinating. So good. And Hoffman, like, this is a guy who at the time, he's the biggest, one of the biggest stars in Hollywood. I mean, yeah, definitely.
1: And
0: yeah, he's just come, you know, obviously the graduate, he starts off or in the, you know, late sixties and then just has a run through the seventies that, that, you know, obviously ends in 1979 with this and he wins uh, alongside Meryl Streep and, you know, I did a little, did a little research on him, you know, and what was, you know, this film, what was it like making it? And you know, apparently it was not very much fun with Hoffman. No. He, uh, he, uh, you know, forced, you know, an actress or two, to, to quit, you know, to, to not want to be on set anymore. And the most interesting thing I read about, you know, the process of this film and Hoffman himself was the, the scene when, um, uh, Ted and Joanna were at the cafe uh, You know, I don't want to step any toes for the awards, but <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, you know, you, you really want, if you really, really watch Hoffman in that scene, if you just try to stay glued to him, uh, he's, he's thinking of what to do. He's thinking of something to do. And so he starts moving his, his glass around that has wine in it. He starts moving it around. And then when he stands up, cause he's really angry with the, with the conversation, He stands up and he hits the glass against the wall, and when he hit that glass in real life, no one knew he was going to do that. That's not something that he was aware. You know, Meryl Streep was aware of. He just kind of did it, and you know, shards of glass flew into the back of Meryl Streep's, you know, into her hair and onto her neck. And you know, and this is a this is a young woman who's first coming into Hollywood, right? Yeah. (laughs) And she's uh, working with a guy like Hoffman and thinks, oh, my God, I get to work with Dustin this, you know, and Dustin at the time is a guy who's staying in character pretty much 100% of the time on set. Yeah. And he he's, you know, grabbing ladies and, you know, feeling them up and doing this and that. And it's fucking horrible to read that stuff, you know, whether it be before or after watching the movie, you know, that's that's. <laughs> that sucks. Cause what he's doing in the movie is, is art is like, uh, it's a, it's craftsmanship. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we both obviously are totally okay with him winning the award. And, <laughs> but, but that, that can't, you know, that can't go on, you know, you got that can't go unchecked. That shit is not cool. And if that happened today, your ass would get kicked off the set. You wouldn't be in the fucking movie anymore. Um, and that's you know forty years later, right? So I, that you know that kind of stuff still shocks me. You know, it shouldn't because Hollywood's just full of snakes and full of full of terrible, terrible you know habits. And uh, that particular scene, you know, sometimes it's hard to swallow as a movie fan that sometimes that's what it takes for greatness is for him to do that slam that glass against the wall with no one knowing for that scene to be that powerful. And, you know, of course, Meryl Streep had a very Meryl Streep, you know, uh, she, she told him after, I'd appreciate if you told me next time, if you're going to do something like that. (laughs) And, uh, and, you know, she set the tone for the movie. I'm going to be in this and you're going to respect me. And, you know, of course she has the career she has because she stood her ground right away. Uh, but that that didn't stop stop dustin and you know there's all kinds of problems on set and you you watch the film and you're like what how you know it's gold like how uh that's you know when you grow up uh you start realizing that there's people that are making these movies right and it's it 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 sucks man it sucks to read that stuff uh i don't know if you had any knowledge of of all that but uh it's it's frustrating you know uh, you know hoffman's got his stories right there's stories about hoffman in the 70s and Throughout the '80s and whatnot, and um, the guy, the guy seemed to be kind of a womanizer, you know, and that's
1: that's not cool. Dustin Hoffman is in, like, for lack of a better word, kind of a monster. He, yeah, from what you read, he comes across that way: control freak, method actor, womanizer, uh, sexual harasser. If the story is yeah. well believed, yeah, and yeah, I do think that he's he's a bastard but i do separate the people from their work and i think oh. the performance of ted yeah. Trevor- well it's
0: it's it's done now yeah <laughs> at this point. I mean, there's there's nothing you can fucking do about it now um and you when you watch the movie you're not doing something bad uh i just think i i think it's good for people to know uh what yeah. what was going on right uh mm-hmm. if you're if you're like a grown-up and you want to you know really learn about movies and I think it's healthy to, to to be able to separate the two and realize that there's a difference between real life and what's happening on the screen. Yeah, and and in the case of Kramer vs. Kramer, it just happened to be one of those sets that was probably not the safest uh, for for people to be on because Hoffman was yeah, like you said, a monster. But uh, he he wins the award and him and Streep. There's there's pictures of them that are kind of awkward. They're both holding their they're you know holding the gold. It's a little awkward. They're they don't look that happy.
1: Well, she never worked <laughs> with him again, and no you really want to hate the man hear this so uh this I could not believe this is the most fucked up shit I couldn't believe is this
0: this, is this also dealing with Kramer or different this is the same here we go something else he did to Streep I probably read this because yeah there's a lot there's a lot well there's other actresses that literally that quit
1: yeah it's crazy this was personal which is weird oh yeah I know (laughs) So uh, the year prior, uh, Meryl Streep's uh, longtime lover and really the love of her life uh, character after John Cazale passed away from cancer. Yes. And she was very much still in mourning. She was, you know, very hurt by that. She channeled a lot of that pain into her performance. Dustin Hoffman knew that and would whisper John Cazale's name into her ear before they would film. That is fucked up that is some mind that's mind fuck shit i like that really turned me on on just on dustin hoffman yeah
0: yeah 100 i I read
1: i I read the same thing it's
0: uh yeah there's like 10 of those kinds of stories out of just this film you know and if you if you don't believe us look that shit up yourself uh that's, that's 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 uh That's adult, adult shit, you know,
1: (laughs) and it didn't, none of this affected his career. He went on to, you know, he won another Oscar in 88 for Rain Man, had a very successful career, kind of slowed down recently uh, after the allegations, but the performances, you know, both Kramer versus Kramer and Rain Man, terrific movies, unbelievable performances from him, but as a person, yeah, kind of detestable and I would never want to meet this guy.
0: No, no, I wouldn't I wouldn't either. I, I don't even know. I guess to sign my copy of The Graduate. I yeah, no thanks.
1: No, I'll just wait till I die and I'll get Ann Bancroft to do it. Yeah. Uh, so Team so Bancroft, takes, yeah. Yeah. So that takes us to Best Picture. The five that were up that year. Uh we have Norma Ray, Breaking Away, Apocalypse Now, all that jazz, and the winner, of course, Kramer versus Kramer. Where do you want to start with these five films? I, 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 want, I want
0: to take it from the bottom because we have not really talked about Norma Ray because there is no um, best actress nominee for Kramer vs. Kramer. Cause you know, Meryl Streep's for supporting Sally field wins best actress for Norma way. Rightfully. So she is lights out, <laughs> arguably the best performance of that year. Holy hell. Norma Ray will blow your socks off. If you're American and you have a pulse, watch this movie. Holy shit, man. This is why we do this. This is why we do this show and tell, tell the, tell the uh, listeners how you found the movie, you know, cause we thought for a minute we weren't going
1: to be able to see it. Yeah. Norma Ray is not available to stream anywhere, not even to rent or buy on Amazon prime. It's basically non-existent virtually. So I was like, well, I'm going to pickle how are we going to find this film. You know, we want to do all five. If we miss one. We miss out one. We have a lesser show. So, I went hunting and I did not have to hunt that long, which was kind of amazing. I went to my local uh, video store, Half Price Books, and it was right there in the ends. I couldn't fucking believe it. I felt like Charlie Bucket finding the golden ticket. (laughs) It was amazing. So I was like, this is a good sign. We're going to have a good episode. And so far, yeah, I think we're doing all right.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, I have it right here, right here in my my living room because I got to watch it after you let me borrow it. you told me, you know, buckle up. This is your kind of movie. And it is, you know, and I want to highlight a couple things from from Norma Ray. Uh, Sally Field. Uh, oof, tremendous. She's a breathtaking performer. And there's a scene with Bo Bridges where she is. Uh, I'll just say she's in the kitchen. You know, I want to give everything away because I could I could see this film being the highlight of one of our episodes one day she she's in the in the kitchen and you know Bo bridges is getting getting upset with her you know getting real feisty and you don't have time for me you know that kind of shit right i'm i'm your man and you don't have time for me you got time for this and that and, and not me you know and this and that and it's just dogging her right and she oh you know i i said i was like on the couch and i was like fucking get him you know get him get his ass kick his ass sea bass <laughs> you know <laughs> you know i was i got i got amped and she oh man my adrenaline was pumping for like 10 minutes after that because she just gets up and fucking slams a dish on the stove and starts turns the faucet on and starts fucking throwing shit into the end of the sink there's your laundry there's your fucking there you want ironing <laughs> spits on the fucking thing and starts fucking ironing oh man <laughs> that's acting dude you know and that's why we do this show. Exactly why. I know Kramer's Kramer's gonna be good. I know we're gonna enjoy that. I know we're gonna have fun with apocalypse now, you know. I'm but Norma Ray, there's it's nowhere to be found. You can't rent it on Amazon, you know, in 2020 you can't rent this movie from 1970, which, you know includes a best actress, you know, performance from Sally Field, which is one of the better you know, like dominant, leading, good performances from a woman I've ever seen. You know, I'm showing that shit to my daughter. You know, I, I, there's a scene where she's, you know, I could go on and on. I'm sorry. (laughs) There's a scene where she's uh, walking with, uh, you know, some men and there's some, some black fellows involved right in their town and they're helping her, her character helping Norma and, these white men are just saying stupid shit. Like, why do you, what do you, this looks bad for our image. You know, you got these black guys in here and she says, oh, black men's never done anything wrong to me. Only white men have like, man, motherfucker. Like, yes. You know, like <laughs> Sally field is just fucking punching left and right. And just slinging that shit. And like, I, I couldn't recommend it more. It's a movie that females need to see and males equally need to see because she is just standing up for fucking people. You know um, I, I loved it so much. I'm so glad you found it.
1: <laughs> Me too, <laughs> man. It's, it, it's it, it'll, it'll bring you to tears. You know, it's crazy. It's definitely a film I'm going to watch again. I'm glad I own it now and it's just beautiful. She was so good. She was such a good person. Like Norma Ray is a hero. Like she's a role model. She's somebody, you, you know, who stood up for everybody. Like at the risk of her own job of her own, like her life of her kids, like she put everything on the line for that union because she knew it mattered. She knew that it represented a future and God damn, that movie was, was lights out. Good. I, yeah, I'm very happy with that one.
0: Me too. It, It really deserves this spot. It deserves this spot and there's nothing that can take it away. Um, When it comes to talking about alien taking one of these, uh, uh,
1: not normal ray. (laughs) Nope, not a chance. That was, I would have been okay if this had taken best picture. Like I liked it that. Me too. It's one of those I've been
0: totally fine with. Uh, and you know, shout out to my mother, Julie. She, when I told her that we were doing this show, she was like, "Oh, what? What are the five again? You know, remind me. You know, what? What lost to Kramer and?" You know, I sent, I texted her the five and she's like, Oh, Norma Ray's a good one. And I'm like, yeah, we're trying to find it. You know, like we're trying to get it. And I told her we got it. <laughs> and she was like, Oh, enjoy. Like, yeah, enjoy. She was like that. I remember loving that one. So, um, uh, and it very much felt, made me feel connected to my mother on a deeper level. Just, uh, knowing that she was, you know, my mom was born in 62, I believe. So she'd have been, you know, 17 when this comes out. I just, I, I love thinking about that kind of stuff.
1: Hell yeah! My my uh, my grandma was the same way. She was like, "You are gonna love that movie." And I'm <laughs> like, "Hell yeah!" And it's just, it's nice to have that reinforcement.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's very cool. Very cool.
1: Hell yeah! Yeah, definitely. We're gonna do you know at some point. We'll definitely do some kind of Sally Field showcase, and this will this or well, the other one she did.
0: So yeah, there's a there's a movie that she was in uh, 1984, I think. I think Places in the Heart, mm-hmm. and that. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I would have been like, Oh, okay. You know, but now I'm like, I need, I need yes. this. <laughs> Cause it's a, apparently I think it's in Texas. So, Oh man, if I can get Sally field in Texas, come on, man. I'm, I'm prideful as shit when it comes to that, you know, when it comes to yeah, the representation in, in movies and I, I need to see that one. So uh, I believe it was out for best picture. So whenever we do in 1984, uh, we'll have to do that.
1: Yeah, I have a whole new like revived respect for Sally Field now, and oh, oh yeah, yeah. I want to seek out more of her stuff. It feels good to have that like, you know, that drive kind of forced upon you by a movie like those. It's great. Oh yeah, well Dustin Hoffman kind of
0: has done that to me recently. You know, with uh, with Lenny. You know, yeah, and all the stuff I know about the guy. You know, look at me, piece of shit. Fucking keep watching. <laughs> keep watching all this 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 nonsense and he's he's he, it's, it's my favorite performance that i've ever seen him do in lenny because it is just so so out there you know and i've definitely kind of fallen fallen for that that run that he had when he was first coming out after the graduate he's just spectacular um hard hard to take your eyes off the guy yeah he's pretty 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 great
1: yeah straight up and then he did little fucker's
0: Oh, yeah.
1: So, well, that's what he was doing when we were kids. Yeah. It's funny watching actors, you know, who were such titans do shit like that, you know? Just, it, yeah, non- nonsense comedy. Yeah. Like when I always respect Danny Day Lewis because he was like, fuck this, I'm out. And yeah, stayed true to his, his, uh, himself like the whole time.
0: Well, why, why put it on your resume? You know, if, if, uh, you want to be known as the greatest, don't put that on your resume. Even Jack Nicholson as many films as he's been in there's not a lot of just shit you know he, even the comedies he kind of kind of chose unique ones uh you know you could look at something like as good as it gets like great call <laughs> fucking great call with the uh, that kind of you know rom-com style uh yeah I, I just think certain guys like de niro
1: and hoffman don't give a shit <laughs> <laughs> nicholas cage <laughs> Nicolas Cage, I I feel bad for him. He wanted to care, but financially, he can't.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know, that's a whole, you know, he's from a different generation than those other guys that I named, but I just like throwing his name out there. But he, yeah, for sure, you know, in the 80s and 90s, you're like, whoa, look out.
1: And then something happened. What happened is you bought a few islands, you trusted the wrong accountant, and now you're fucked for pretty much ever. <laughs> so now,
0: now you gotta keep stealing the declaration of independence until <laughs> until we say stop
1: oh nick academy award winner nicholas cage what happened oh that's for the future yeah one, one, one
0: day one day so uh let's move up to breaking away which is a film neither of us had seen
1: i never even heard of this movie before this neither have I. i'd heard of it before but that one was complete mystery to me
0: I just read it with these five. That's it. I had never seen it on IMDb. I, I didn't know bicycles were fucking involved. Um, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, pretty good fucking movie. Kind of, yeah. kind of, kind of surprised me. Um, I kind of threw it on thinking like, oh man, you know, I've just watched all these heavy hitters. Surely this one won't be as amazing as the others. And it isn't as amazing, but it is. It is very good and has a lot to offer. And uh, captures captures the late seventies really well.
1: Yeah, it's like a prototype for Days to Confused. It's it's a coming yeah. of age movie that again doesn't really have much to say, but says it in a very enjoyable way. And coming of age movies, you know, I fucking hate those most of the time. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. I know this one's just made really well. Yeah, with the with Dennis Christopher uh, fucking Calvin Candy's lawyer. Like, who'd have thought?
0: Incredible, and Dennis Quaid, Daniel Stern, Jackie, uh, Jackie yeah, Earl Haley. Jackie Earl Haley. At
1: least he's like eighteen.
0: Yeah, it's cool as shit, and heard- it's cool. It's it's cool that they use you know you know like a Middle America, take a specific. It's in Indiana, right? And you pointed out something that I think is so important with these kind of movies, or something like Days Confused, or if you really hone in on something, on a thing and like stay stay attached to it throughout the whole film. You can you can have something special with the coming of age. You can. You just it, it take takes a special uh, special writer to really get how kids talk and how teenagers talk and these guys are, you know, like just graduated high school. So it's like that that age where they really think they're untouchable.
1: Yeah, and I think Steve Tesich did a great job. He won he won the Oscar for best original screenplay for this movie. Exactly. Exactly. It's a very well-written thing. I love the whole, you know, obsessed with Italian culture until they fuck him over. Yeah. <laughs> that was brilliant. Daniel Stern's like just kind of, you know, dumbassery, like getting his hand stuck in a bowling ball. Like there's so many great moments in this movie. And it's, it's just, it was a, it was a heart warmer. And I liked that. Like I, I enjoyed it. I was like, this is nice. <laughs> it was... This is good. Yeah, man. I'm glad, I'm
0: glad I'm watching this. And if it weren't for this show, Probably never would have seen it.
1: No, it would have completely passed me by. I never even would have heard of it.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and again, this is a movie that uh, operated on a, a two million dollar budget. and made twenty million dollars. I just don't even know if this movie gets made today. I I don't know.
1: It gets made. I think maybe you know it gets made on Netflix or it gets made on Amazon. But I don't. Netflix, think it gets a theatrical yeah, case. yeah, fantastic. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, that's a it's that's one that's also not that easy to find. It's a rental on amazon or voodoo but it's a good movie it's worth the five it's worth the four bucks yeah sure.
0: um yeah i great. think so I, I think if i think i think if you're trying to you know get the full perspective here it it is necessary and it's not just a wash it's it's good uh it's probably the one i would take out for alien
1: but it's but it's really good it's not the one i'd take out but we'll get to that oh god <laughs> <laughs> how um, dare how dare you <laughs> bob Fosse's masterpiece <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get there we'll get there but first let's talk apocalypse now one of the most definitive war movies ever made like a lot to a lot of people it is the vietnam war movie and it's hard to argue that it's it's quite a quite a movie uh basically we're following martin sheen as he is tasked with assassinating a renegade a uh, U.S. Army colonel who has set himself up as basically a god in the jungle. And the movie is his journey to get to Cambodia to kill this guy and the adventures he has along the way on a riverboat. And yeah, it's a, it's a bonkers good war movie, straight up. If you haven't seen Apocalypse Now, I can't believe you're listening to an Oscar podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: find it very hard to believe that anyone... Listening would have not seen Apocalypse Now like even a couple times. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's one of those. It's one of those must sees. I think our statement about Alien being the definitive nineteen seventy nine. I think a lot of people would say that Apocalypse Now is the definitive one, and that's totally fine. Yeah, I think I think Alien is just so ahead of its time the, with the the sci fi and horror aspects, but Apocalypse Now is. Probably the most, you know, dissected and you know talked about and discussed movie. You you, you mentioned how the set was just bonkers. There's books about it. There's uh, there's going to be a documentary about it, right? Um,
1: yeah, Heart of Darkness.
0: Yes, there we go. There, yeah, and people are fascinated by that movie. Not just the film, but it's one of those that has like forty different steel books. And there's, you know, 100 different kinds of, you know, Blu-ray, Criterion, this edition, that edition, whatever, you know, and it's one of those. Rightly, frightfully so. It's really fucking good. And, and to me, it goes so beyond being this war movie because it, it, uh, it understands the mental aspects mm-hmm. of just, of just uh, doing something so wild. When you break, when you break down, when you break down, uh, we're, we're on a mission. Like it's a video game when you break it down, but we're actually doing this. We're on a mission to go kill this. Like you said, this King of the jungle, God of the jungle, (laughs) you know, it's, that's, that that'll drive a lot of people bananas and it would drive me bananas. And it's, you know, it's fascinating to look at that and, you know, the scenes, you know, on the raft, you know, (laughs) You know, come on. You know, there's just there's stuff in here that that kind of defines intense. Yeah kind of define defines that part of cinema, the intense and thrilling aspects of cinema.
1: And the build-up to Kurtz is so well done. The whole movie is, have you heard of this guy? Yeah. Oh well, you know, he'll he'll mess with your head, like you don't even know what this yeah, guy's man. about. And then you know, you meet Dennis Hopper and he's like, Man, he changed my life, man. Like he's just the best. It's it's like what is this guy? And then you meet Kurtz and like, you could look at it as this guy has snapped and he has lost his fucking mind, or he's the only one in this movie who is truly free. There's so many ways you can look at Kurtz and God, you could watch this movie a hundred times and come away thinking something different every time. It is really a wild movie. And I prefer the original cut. I'm not a fan of the redux. I think it's way too long and doesn't add like add anything really substantial In my opinion, Uh, I think the original cut is a good, you know, crisp two and a half hours. Yeah. But you know, I've, people love the reux. That's okay. But uh, yeah, I think prior to seeing Kramer versus Kramer apocalypse now was my pick for best picture of 1979.
0: Yeah, that's fair.
1: That's totally fair, man.
0: I, I think I'm in the same boat with you uh, as far as all that respect for it and, and thinking that it, deserves the spot deserves the nomination and if
1: it won i wouldn't have a problem nah man amazing i love you know tackling a war movie is always entertaining war movies are i enjoy them they're you know there's that morality side of it but there's also the you know the grand scale they're just there's something special about about those oh well yeah and you
0: ultimately it's a director you know the directors is playing god and when the director has control of uh perspective on war they control everything you know we've talked about Patton on this show that's you know francis for Coppola wrote that shit uh <laughs> and, and showed showed his showed his you know showed his hey man i can do this i can write i can write cool war shit that's not just about bang 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 and a bunch of explosions it's, it's about the conversations that happen around all of that and that's what fascinates us
1: Coppola's version of Kurtz is basically if Patton had just snapped.
0: Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah for sure. you see a lot of Patton and in...
1: yeah, God damn. <laughs> beautiful. And that takes us to all that jazz. yeah, the divisive movie of the night, I think. <laughs> yeah, sounds sounds like it, you know go go ahead, you know, obviously I really like it. <laughs> I was not a fan. Uh, I'm not that big on artsy experimental stuff. I I find it self-indulgent and at times pretentious. And I, I, I this movie lost me about halfway through. Once shit started getting weird and he was dying, but he wasn't. And he's singing a song about I'm going to die. I didn't know what the fuck was going on. I couldn't stay focused. <laughs> and I was just like, no, it's lost me. And this is,
0: uh, uh, yeah, this is Austin Alley. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and that's no, you know, that's no disrespect to Roy Scheider. He's the only thing holding this together as far as I'm concerned. Like he did a great job, but I don't like, I don't understand why I should be invested in Bob Fosse's fake true story.
0: Well, I mean, I don't know why I should be interested in Paul Thomas's Anderson's take on a fake oil guy from a novel you know in the early 1900s i, I don't know i i i am so well aware that i'm being distracted when i'm watching movies for the most part i know i'm i know i'm learning and with this uh i just I, I just watched lenny maybe a month ago and you know that's a big part of the film right is that he's editing this this movie and you know it, it is it's very weird and i feel very similarly about it. We did an episode in in the bedroom and you were like, oh, isn't Mulholland Drive, you know, like one of your favorite movies? And I'm like, yeah, but I don't think I don't know if it should be up for best picture. Like not everybody's down for that shit, you know, and all that jazz. Not everybody's down for all that jazz. It's it does have it finishes off with a 20 minute like insane melee of, you know, Roy Scheider singing, I think I'm going to die. Bye, bye, bye you know, and dancing around and going crazy and it doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, and who, you know, with that being said, I love it.
1: <laughs> who was who Jessica Lang supposed to be?
0: You mean the, like, uh, like the fantasy girl. Yeah. Yeah. Jessica Lang. Yeah. She's just, uh, she's like a muse, like a thing. He, cause he's, you know, going in and out of, you know, hallucinations. And there's that scene where he's at the editing table, at the writer's table, and everything goes silent. And you, he starts hearing, like, clicks and starts hearing the pencil and he breaks it. You know, everything goes. He's losing his mind. You can't trust, can't really trust uh, any narrative. Just like with a lot of stuff I like, you know. And, you know, this is, yeah, this is very much up my alley. Like this is, this is, this is my favorite movie of the five, but I would never say that it should win best picture. I just don't, I don't think it's for everyone. Therefore, I don't think it should win best picture Kramer vs. Kramer. I don't think you have a pulse if you didn't react to it. All that jazz. I could understand if you wanted to turn it off after an hour. I understand if it's not for you, but I'm glad you stuck with it and watched all the way through and, uh, Maybe a rewatcher, maybe you should check out Lenny and then watch it. I don't know. Well, Bob Fossey is not an easy filmmaker to to digest. His, his shit is his shit's weird, you know. I uh, the uh, Joe Gideon, you know, he's like a loose, you know, loosely based on Bob Fossey, right? He's takes taken a lot of dexedrine. Uh uy, you know, drugs, you know <laughs> that drug's not that drug's not um something you can trust he's uh taking heavy doses of it throughout and yeah it's it's that shit's fucking heavy
1: (laughs) true yeah i I, it's gonna sound weird i think this would have been better in a different director's hands i think it's weird to tell your own story that's
0: fair especially so shortly after and you know you know what's actually really interesting is there's there's a bit where this can this can segue us into kramer is there's a bit of um Uh, music playing and it's Antonio Vivaldi and that's what uh, Joe Gideon's listening to and he's fucking losing his mind Antonio Vivaldi is who wrote a lot of the score for Kramer vs. Kramer Yes, and is uh, a very important part of the movie and I thought that was so interesting when I heard that I was like oh what is that you know it's it's fucking Vivaldi oh what the hell that's crazy you know um, those connections within the same year so cool I totally get it, man. I totally get that all that jazz. is not, I kind of knew it wasn't, it's not, it's not in your bag. It's not something that, but I do hope you rewatch it one day after maybe seeing Lenny or stuff, you know, um, you know, cabaret, sweet charity, whatever, you know, whatever you feel like doing. Uh, he's, he's a, he's a, he's a wacky guy and uh, died like eight years after um, all that jazz came out. So Uh, He was like in his fifties when all that jazz came out and died at 60. So very, very tough, very tough life.
1: Yeah. And you know, maybe that is, maybe that is a point. I have not seen any of his other work. I mean, I saw Chicago on Broadway, but that's about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I don't, maybe I do need to kind of understand who he was before I watch, you know, before I can really commit to that one. There's a point there. I understand that. Well, I
0: I, I mainly point out because Lenny, I think, is a stronger overall film. I think it makes a lot more sense. It definitely jumps around a lot and you have to be paying attention, but you know what the narrative is. You know that Dustin Hoffman is playing this shitbag comedian and you're watching his life unfold, you know, and Bob Fosse, you know, for him to so shortly after just put that into all that jazz, how he's editing it and. Uh, I, I can't remember who it is that plays the character that's kind of Dustin Hoffman. That guy was hilarious. <laughs> uh, but no, the first time I saw all that jazz, I fell in love with it because it was so wacky. And then now that I have seen Lenny, I, I, I do respect it more. Uh, that kind of cinematic, that that magic that's just within the magic, <laughs> you know. Uh, I, I love that stuff. That kind of overlaps each other. It's really cool.
1: It is these films that really kind of show the different ways that we approach these movies. And I like that we occasionally like rarely get to disagree. <laughs> yeah. It's probably good for the show. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because, yeah. you know, all, so, all that jazz is very much a visual, you know, arts, artistic film, and it's not very narrative driven. And that's just, you know, I prefer a narrative.
0: Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. You know, uh, a lot of my favorite movies are yeah built off atmosphere or, emotion and you know this feeling of how the camera's moving and sometimes i definitely will disregard you know i i'm a big terrence malick fan so like night of cups what the fuck is happening i don't know but the way he's filming christian bale is pretty cool (laughs) you know that's just uh that's that's a difference in our um fandom for it and i i wouldn't change that shit for the world i think it's really cool and I, I kind of knew it. You know, I had seen all that jazz and I kind of knew. I was like, man, this is that one's that one's wacky. It's a real weird 70s movie. Uh, but I'm, I'm so glad you, you were able to see it to, to see it for yourself and to finish out the five.
1: Yes. And uh, it's funny you mentioned Malik because Terrence Malik is a filmmaker I haven't explored specifically because I know he's going to piss me off every time. So <laughs> I'm hesitant to go into Malik
0: i understand we'll 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 slowly do that on this show slowly Uh, because yeah you don't you don't want to have a
1: full-on terrence malick week uh you don't want
0: to no (laughs) you can't do that
1: i'll wait till we do the artist and i'll watch tree of life
0: there you go yeah there you go that's (laughs) i love the tree of life yeah i I, yeah that's a great movie
1: (laughs) well that takes us to the winner kramer versus kramer uh, IMDB score of 7.8, Rotten Tomatoes score of 88%, box office gross one hundred and eight million and five Oscar wins. Where do you want to start with this one? Oh, man. Kramer vs. Kramer. Uh, we've
0: obviously talked a lot about certain aspects we love, and we're going to give some awards out for it. But I, I do want to bring back up how special I think it is uh, that this movie made 100 million dollars in the theater in 1979. I just want to kind of look at you know what films are able to do now, you know. And I think Marriage Story is such a good one to look at because it is kind of a good comparison of a movie that goes straight to Netflix, doesn't really do a whole lot. It's a movie that operates on a 18 million dollar budget. You know, times have changed. 10 million more dollars. That's just that's just how how time goes. But we can't, what's amazing about this is there is no pure actual number because of Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> you, can't, you can't totally attest for, was it a profit? Did they profit off of it? How much do they sell it to for, you know, did Noah Baumbach make money? Like, how did he pay those actors? All these questions we can't really answer. And it's so weird to think that Kramer's Kramer in 2019 we wouldn't know how much that movie that Meryl Streep and Dustin Hoffman were in made, you know, we wouldn't have those statistics that, that wouldn't be the, you know, the thing people are lining up to see on the weekend. It's uh, 70s are special, man. <laughs> it, it, and it changed. And we're going to see that uh, throughout the show. You know, we're going to do, we're going to do a best picture showdown every fifth episode uh, this is the first proper one we're doing. We kind of flirted with it in 1948 when we did Hamlet and we were like, hey, yeah, let's take that, let's take that to the next level. And that's what we're gonna do, you know, from here on out every, you know, fifth episode. Uh, and I think we're gonna see there's a there's an obvious change in the 70s and 80s in in American cinema on what, what people prior, you know, what their priorities are. And it changes with Star Wars, you know, in the late 70s and as that gets really popular in Indiana Jones and all these things happen. And I think Kramer vs. Kramer just hit it at the right exact, right time, exact, right time, kind of waving goodbye to, to that, that style, that style of filmmaking. Cause you, you don't see a whole lot of them directly after that, you know, it takes a marriage story to come out years after to really do that. And that's so fascinating.
1: True. True, but then, like, the very next year you had ordinary people, ordinary, ordinary people, people. Yeah. yeah. But that's so I don't know not that, that's not that's not a good movie, though. <laughs> I'll have to, I haven't seen it yet, so I, I don't, I can't judge uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> I do think it's not a jarring difference, it is more of a gradual over the decades decline, in you know, and especially, the in the,
0: especially in the Oscars, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Because it, when when films started, dramas were the blockbusters. Exactly, exactly. And as, you know, filming, as film technology grew, so did the limits of what the human imagination could create. And, you know, Star Wars really is kind of the linchpin and all that, where you just look at that film and it completely blew people's minds. Yeah. No one had ever done anything like that before. And then after that, everybody was doing that. Yeah. So it is cool to see these trends and kind of, earmark one specific film that changed everything
0: oh yeah yeah for sure and the the oscars you know ordinary people you know and amadeus you know they definitely throughout the 80s you know they're still the oscars but you see it you look at the box office you look at the numbers that where the money is and it's fucking fascinating it's fucking fascinating how star wars really got the gears grinding and uh in the 80s it just fucking blows up you know we talked about back to the future holy shit one of the biggest american movies ever you know yeah that's that's that doesn't have 70s written all over it it has 80s written all over it and kramer's kramer has 70s written all over it and i I love that i love when you can fucking distinguish that right away and I, i love that kramer's kramer feels like it's a a love letter to its own era and i very much appreciate that so uh let's give out some fucking awards for it
1: All right, let's do this.
0: All right, so we have, uh, you know, for anyone who's listening for their first time, thank you for being with us. We have four awards we give out. Uh, The first one being the Tarantino for the best line or quote, the Ennio Morricone for the best music moment, or it could be a needle drop, you know, soundtrack, score moment, whatever it may be. Then the Philip Seymour Hoffman Award for best performance of the movie. And then the Roger Deakins, which goes to what we feel like is the best
1: moment of the movie. Uh, I'll, I'll let you, I'll let you start with your Tarantino. So my best line uh, hit me home, hit me like right at home because this happened to me. It's right after, um, right after Joanna leaves and uh, Ted calls up uh, their neighbor, Margaret, to find out like, was she talking to you? What happened? Why did she leave? And Margaret's like, well, she's unhappy. We've been talking. You know, I think this was very courageous what she did. And Ted drops the line how much courage does it take to walk out on your kid? And I was like, fuck. <laughs> oh, because I mean, you reverse the roles and that's, that happened to me when I was in, you know, four or five years old. And uh, like the first half, not the second half, there was no custody battle. But you know, that movies like this hit me on a very personal level because of that. And that line really just, like, my heart skipped a beat, and I was like, "Shit, he's got a point. He's got a very good point." So that's my, that's my Tarantino.
0: Oof, that's a great, great one. And I most certainly uh, felt that one, you know, while watching it this time, you know, and knowing that we're going to be talking, you know, definitely, definitely felt for you when I was watching it, and. Uh, this next line's not going to be any easier. <laughs> um, uh, my Tarantino goes to another another tough, tough moment here, and it's from Justin Henry. Um, and he's at a at a friend's house, and Ted's late. You know, well, like twenty minutes late. But that's that's fucking late when you're a kid. That's fucking late. Yeah. And uh, Justin Henry, actor Billy says, all the other mothers were there before you. and you know that's because all the moms were picking up you know the kid and the kids but not this but not in this um situation because the mom's not there and so the dad has to be the mom uh and be the dad he has to bring home the bacon Mm -hmm. uh and that that's when you're like oh man and he has to he's forced to make a decision. It feels like right there in the movie, he's forced to make a decision. Either either my son is my top priority and then my job, or it's my job, then my son. And he 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 starts to decide that it's his son. And fucking good on him.
1: Yeah. And I don't know if we're ever if we're gonna get to this in our awards, but I just want to point out fuck his boss for making him make that decision.
0: Well, well, that's another I almost put that as I the Tarantino, I like to give it to a tighter, a tighter piece of the, the screenplay. Mm-hmm. But there, there's that, what Hoffman is saying, and he says, um, you know, I go to the refrigerator because I'm getting my son ready for, you know, getting my son ready for school. What the fuck? You know, who hears that? He, that's, that's a dad. I go to the refrigerator, like you're going to what? And I go to get my son ready for school. That's fucking dad language, man. You know, that's parent language. And <laughs> his boss, like, doesn't give a shit. Fuck him. You know, I, I, that, that scene's infuriating, you know, and totally causes you to back, to back Ted. If you, already, if you weren't already, it, it causes you to kind of like, mm, I got his back here, you know, as the audience. Because that's, you, you know what he's been doing. You know how much better of a dad he's become. And he's just hit with that shit so fucked
1: is it weird that i'm when I, I i do want kids someday but i think about how much these films are going to affect me so differently when i have yeah. kids i'm looking forward to that more than most other things <laughs>
0: i i thought i like i thought i loved movies until yeah until i had willow and now yeah now they, you know they, they can they have the power to yeah, speak to you on a, on a super, super deep level. I'll go ahead and point out something real quick like uh, this you know Ted Kramer reminds me of, of Marlin from finding Nemo and he's just fucking you know just fucking trying, you know and tries to find ways to relate and do this, do that and Marlin like tears me to pieces now. Finding Nemo before Willow was born? I liked it thought it was thought it was dope visually stunning but now yeah Marlin tears me to fucking pieces (laughs) uh yeah that's a tough one and Ted Kramer does the same kind of thing they're very they they remind me a lot of each other Marlon and Ted
1: a great shout out that's fantastic
0: it's a it's a good movie (laughs) it is a yeah it's a great movie uh what's next the enyo What, what, what do you got for the what do you got for the enyo
1: um this just made me laugh uh It's the the bit where Ted is walking home And he's walking past the street musicians And they just break into Vivaldi (laughs) And the film progresses
0: I thought that was very cute (laughs) Well, okay, that's perfect Because that's I wrote down Antonio Vivaldi The intro music at the beginning When, yeah, it becomes a part of the film They're like characters all of a sudden I love that And uh, also the Vivaldi stuff that happens in, in all that jazz It's just really cool It's really cool that he's a part of cinema in that way yeah, absolutely. Oh, cool. well, um, this, uh, the Hoffman,
1: the, uh, the, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman award. <laughs> Who does it go to for you? Admittedly, all four of our principal actors here do a phenomenal job. All four are lights out. Great. But I got to give this to Dustin Hoffman.
0: It, I, I feel like I would try be trying to be cute if I didn't give it to him. Um, Meryl Streep is wonderful. Like you, you, know, you said, uh, the four principal actors, Jane Alexander, yes, Justin Henry, great stuff. And really everything across the board, every, every little you know, side character you see, every, everything that happens is, is perfect, is spot on. But uh, you don't have the movie without Dustin. You just, the, the first, the, to me, I, I like the first half a little bit more than the second half. I love the second half. I love those moments in the courtroom. But that first half, when you're just you're just you're diving into the, the relationship of father and son, and just kind of going through the trenches with them, and then coming coming up out of them, and Hoffman for sure is is the heart of what's going on.
1: So weird that such a bastard did such a great job playing such a noble character. That's that's right. That's, that's it. Sucks that that's what it takes.
0: That's what it takes for you know that kind of you know greatness in a film. Yeah. I, I I would hope not. damn
1: yeah man uh so Dustin Hoffman (laughs) yeah I I think the Hoffman goes to Hoffman yeah (laughs) that's always the most predictable of our awards I think so far at least
0: uh last week we had a difference in uh Rashomon uh but but typically yeah it's going to be hard uh when we have we have the one performance you know the PSH who, who 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 won the movie yeah. And it, it's uh, usually you and I are going to be on the same page. I think with this, uh, I think, I think most people are uh, with Kramer. Mm-hmm. Meryl, if Meryl Streep had more screen time, maybe, but that's not, that, that's not, that's not the movie. It wouldn't be Kramer's Kramer without that, how it's split up the way, the way it moves and really honing in on the father son relationship. Oh man. Hoffman. Yeah. yeah Hoffman has got to get it. I think next week
1: will be very interesting about how we approach that one. Oh yes, more on that <laughs> later. Killer. So the Roger Deakins Award. Uh, <sighs> I have two. Uh,
0: okay, I have one. Let me start first, uh, and I'll let you finish off with your two. Uh, okay. So there's plenty, and we've we've mentioned a lot of them, but we haven't touched on this. Is this is my favorite? This is something I watch on YouTube sometimes when I'm just. It's like it's just a scene that I think is like brilliant. I think you can make this five minute part a short and it would be perfect. And it is when Dustin Hoffman, Ted Kramer is up in the morning and it's that initial morning when she's not there and you have Dustin Hoffman, Ted Kramer making breakfast and he's got to do the French toast. He's got to make himself coffee. He's got to get orange juice and he's all over the place. And for whatever reason, you know, it becomes the most difficult thing ever doing <laughs> Just, just making breakfast, a thing that Joanna does every day, the mom does every day for whatever, six, seven years. Uh, and watching him do that and struggle and burn his hand and God damn it. <laughs> and he gets mad because she's not there. And I find that scene to be extremely moving without, without even trying it's just magic. It's it's cinematic beauty. It's uh, again, I think you could make that a short, and I'd watch that shit over and over. It's it's uh, a really really well crafted, well done, well executed
1: scene. Absolutely, that was one of my two actually. Oh it- hell yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> it's it is a fantastic scene because it really shows how incapable he is of handling this on day one. He doesn't. He's never had to be a parent. He's just been the provider but he hasn't had to do anything. And it really shows, you know, it's not easy. Making breakfast sounds easy on paper, but it's not. No. When you, you no, know, no, I love no. at the end. Not at all. I love at the end you've got him making french toast again, but now it's, you know, knows exactly what to do. He's doing it, you know, his kids helping him. It's they figured it out. And it's it's nice. Beautiful. Full circle. Yeah so since we already talked about that scene I'm going to go ahead and include my runner up as one of my two uh, I'll talk about this scene and then I'll talk about this like my, my all time favorite I kind of had a ranking thing going
0: <laughs> I, hey I, I could do the same thing yeah I think, there's,
1: I think there's plenty of stuff so this scene I already thought was great and then when I found out it was inc- completely improvised I couldn't fucking believe it and it's the scene where Billy grabs the ice cream out of the freezer he's already pissed at his dad he blames his dad for mom not being there and he wants to stick it to dad so instead of eating dinner he goes and grabs the ice cream he gets a spoon he inches it towards his mouth and dad's like you put you eat that ice cream we're gonna have a problem like don't do it and he eats the ice cream and dad just grabs him and throws him to bed and he's like you know i hate you and dad's like i hate you too you little shit like jesus man and then later on they're both like you know i'm so sorry and it's, 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 it's such a great depiction of just, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back I mean everything he's been going through, everything he's had to deal with. This was the moment where he's just like, Gah! and just let it out. Yeah. Yeah. And they both did really. And uh, yeah, I just, I, I found out that Hoffman and Henry made that up on the fly. Yeah. And it's one of the most powerful scenes of the movie. <laughs> god damn maybe there's something to You know being an asshole for art, art's sake <laughs> Apparently Jesus Christ good god. So that was my runner up And then my favorite scene And just because this was so satisfying It's when Ted gets The job
0: Oh man Oh man that scene is incredible When he's sitting When he's just sitting against the wall Just kind of patiently waiting while all these people are dancing Oh man
1: it was nice because you know he'd already he'd been fired for you know shitty reasons and I love that He's just like shame on you and walks out and uh he you know his his uh job seeker guys like well nobody's hiring until after the holidays and Ted's like could you check he's like I don't have to check he's like check like this is important like he has to convince everybody to like hurry up and I love that because it keeps making you think like he's not gonna get anything.
0: Well, he proves he proves to the audience in those moments too that he's 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 been around the block. You know, he's earned he's earned his way up. So he wants to he wants to get get what get what's his. He tells that guy, Well, either you're gonna call or I'm gonna call. And I don't think you get commission if you don't call. So I think you should call. It's like, Man, where this guy, where'd you go to school?
1: <laughs> and the guy looks at him like, Well, aren't we in a hurry? And like gives him an no.
0: like Mr. Big, Mr. Big shot. Yeah. Like you're damn right. I'm a big shot. I need a job now
1: so I can go to court and get my son. It's so like, it really shows Ted's determination here. Like he could just be like, fuck it. But no, he's like, I'm going to find a job and I'm going to keep my son because he deserves to be at home. I love that. And he gets a call with his people, you know, on their Christmas party. And he has to, he goes in there and like has to sit down. And they're like, this is great. We'll call you. And he's like, no, no, no. I need an answer tonight. Can I talk to somebody else? And they talked to the creative manager. And I love that the guy's like, well, well, we'll let you know after the holidays. And Ted just stands his ground. He's like, Nope, this is a one-time offer. Gentlemen, I'm willing to take a salary cut. I'm definitely overqualified. If you want me, I'll be right outside. Like phew, the balls, man. Like the, just to say that is oh to know that you are worth it. That, that's nice. That's very nice, and he gets the job. It's so satisfying for them to be like, "Welcome aboard." Yeah,
0: God. they're like, "Yeah, you, you got it. You can start as soon, you know, as soon as possible." It's, it's so so satisfying. Yeah,
1: Ugh. it makes you think he's going to do this. <laughs> he's, he, I mean, he kind of doesn't, but in the end, he kind of does.
0: Yeah, yeah, and again, him being pushed by life, by Joanna leaving, by having a child having a son being just pushed by life by circumstance he becomes a much better man by the end of the movie
1: well, i love even the in the trial when his lawyer is saying like to his wife you know were you emotionally unfit like did you fail as a result of your marriage like were you, or do you like did you fail and he's mouthing at her no like he knows like i'm at fault here and this is this is ugly. It's, it really is a, a fantastic character study and just like a character growth study. And damn, I'm so glad I watched this. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, Kramer's Kramer. It's, uh, it's a must-see. It's uh, also really funny that it's rated PG. Yeah, considering Cause the you, blatant news. Cause, yeah, you see, you see some boobs uh, like pretty blatantly, and an uh, eight-year-old Justin Henry also sees them. Uh, yeah don't don't you know don't understand the 70s and 80s with the uh the rating stuff compared that, to today
1: that was so funny she's just standing there whole like covering herself and he's like hi she's like hello
0: <laughs> she so, doesn't are immediately
1: you... walk away she's just like answering <laughs> his questions
0: yeah and he and he's just like yeah he's got like bedhead, kind of yeah it's perfect perfect yeah kramer's kramer must see Mm. Uh, and uh, these 1979 movies uh, shouldn't be slept on. Uh, really, really good stuff. And it makes me so excited for future Best Picture Showdowns, you know, uh, diving into five movies or, or more, whatever it may be, and trying to figure out what we think is the best. And in this case, I think we both
1: agree that Kramer uh,
0: is kind of a, the rightful Best Picture
1: winner. Yes, it is. I, I agree. This deserved the win
0: yeah 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 i i love all that jazz and apocalypse now is awesome but i don't i don't see how someone couldn't watch this and be
1: totally moved (laughs) it really does like it it warms your cold cold heart it really does it's such a just and the ending is so perfect because it is all about what is best for for billy Yeah, yeah, and it ends up, you know, what's
0: best for all three of these individuals, you know, Um, it's a ride, man, and you said it's, it warms the cold heart, well, it also colds the warm heart, because if you're, if you are used to, you know, the mushy movies, well, the first bit of this movie is not for you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Goddamn, yeah, I give this film a nine, straight up, it's uh, phenomenal, it could go up in the future.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I give it a 10 out of 10. I think it's, um, you know, yeah, it's like right there. It's a masterpiece. It's something that people need to see and be aware of and, uh, you know, study these, these careers, Robert Benton, Dustin Hoffman, Meryl Streep. These people are incredible, incredible artists.
1: Straight up. Yes, indeed. That was, that that was great. (laughs) That old thing was great.
0: Yeah. Satisfying, Mm. satisfying, just
1: like the film itself. Yes, indeed. And I guess with that, let's go into what happened this week in film. Let's do it. Uh, quite a lot. It's been a hefty couple of weeks. So, first up, uh, the trailer for Warner Brothers' new Tom and Jerry movie was released. It looks god awful. <laughs> and I'm just, I don't care. This is, do we really need another <laughs> Tom and Jerry movie. I mean, the first Stupid. one was. First one was cute because it was, you know, about them talking and like helping a girl out. This one, it's like it's live action. It's it's Looney Tunes back in action, basically. Chloe Moretz is like trying to catch a mouse. It's fucking stupid. Not for me. Nope. Another trailer that dropped Chaos Walking. This looks intriguing, but also looks like some divergent Hunger Games shit that could bomb hard.
0: Yeah, at first I was really excited and then I got the same vibe you got right there. The Divergent, under, uh, kind of franchise-y, mm, what are we doing here? Are you just kind of baiting for a sequel? I don't know, we'll see.
1: Yeah, I don't, I'm, the January release has me a little bit hesitant there. Yeah. You know, virus or no virus, dump you is a thing. <laughs> so, ugh, I don't know. Um, that's all for trailers we have some cool news out of the Stephen King front. Uh, Lynn Ramsey is going to be directing The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon, which is a King I've yet to actually st- explore. So I don't know that story. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's one. Of, it's a short novel. I don't know why I haven't read it yet, but uh, I knew somebody who read it and she said it was great. So, oh, well, there you go. <laughs> um, this was cool. Wonder Woman 1984 is going to be released on HBO Max on Christmas Day, as well as theaters. So, what. One- <laughs> DC finally gave up. <laughs> Incredible, like man. Time. The times have changed. Wonder Woman was supposed to come out like last June. I'm talking yeah. to June 2019, guys. <sighs> Fucking ridiculous. Speaking of superheroes, Deadpool 3 is moving forward at Disney. Oof. Very interesting. So Deadpool will be joining the MCU in the near future. Fuck yeah. It's going to be a heavily neutered Deadpool, I guarantee you. But we're still going to get, you know... The Merc with a Mouth. Just Something. A 13 yeah. Mouth. <laughs> um, Sonic the Hedgehog director, the guy who did Sonic the Hedgehog, I don't know his name, is working on a new Pink Panther movie, which is going to be mixing cartoon and live action. And uh, huh. yeah, there are no fresh ideas left in Hollywood, are there? No, no, of course
0: not. And Pink Panther is one that I just thought, that's just not on my radar, I guess.
1: It's... The, all right, so I have not seen the classic with Peter Sellers, but the pink, the, uh, the Steve Martin ones are some really shitty comedy. And yeah. uh, I'm hoping it's not, you know, more of that. I'd like a little, I don't know, do something else.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: freshen it up because it's not even a fresh idea. Jesus Christ! Um, they've set a release date for Coming to America with the the, the number two. Not a very good title. Um, March 2021 on Amazon Prime. So I'm sure it'll be funny. Well, I I hope it'll be funny. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, about. I hope so. But it's, it's always nice to get
0: uh, something something intriguing like that on Prime.
1: Yeah, I think so. And, you know, Eddie Murphy had a huge, you know, he had Dolomite. And I'm hoping he gets a bit of a comeback. I think that a Coming to America sequel is an odd choice. Yes. But, uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, This was cool. Um, Tenok Huerta, uh, who is in Narcos, has been cast as the bad guy in Black Panther 2. Uh, No word yet on who that character is, but we have a bad guy, and they are going to begin production uh, this summer. Uh, So I'm assuming uh, Letitia Wright is going to be taking the mantle. I assume that's what they're doing. That would be the right thing to do. Kevin Feige's always listened to the fans, and he's been story-driven, not money-driven the entire time. So I'm hoping he does the right thing with this. Yeah. yeah and Letitia is ready to carry her own film. Straight up. Straight up. They can make the whole movie about passing the torch from beyond. It'd be beautiful. Um, and then this was cool. They have announced a new Predator movie is in the works from director Dan Trachtenberg, who did 10 Cloverfield Lane. Uh, it's going to be produced by Disney's 20th century films. And uh Hopefully, they do better this time. I, you know, weaponizing autism was not the best idea. And uh, I'm sure they can do better. I know they can do better. They have done better. (laughs) So they have done better. Yes. Predator should not be, you know, an impossible thing to franchise. This is a cool concept that is yet to be really, you know, it's yet to really take off beyond the first movie. I mean, two's not bad. Three was awesome, but didn't do well. And four was shit. So. I don't know. I'm not confident, but I'm going to see it. Um, what I'd like to see is how about some historical Predator? Because Predator's been hunting like they established he's been hunting on Earth for like thousands of years. So why not see like Predator versus the Vikings or something?
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think you and I are on the same page. If you're not going to come up with a new idea, you're going to rehash these characters and whatnot, then Let's get wild with it. Do something fresh within it. Vikings, that's a great idea. I mean, Vikings on screen hasn't probably been used enough. And what, you know, what's better than Predator? Well,
1: and, you know, Predator, the whole point is he comes to Earth to hunt Earth's you know, strongest prey. Yes, exactly. the, The most powerful warriors. So you want, like, you know, Vikings or Spartans or I don't know, uh, Samurai or pirates, something like that. There's so much of human history they could explore with that. And I really would like to see that. That would be so cool. Yeah, dude. Same. And uh, that is all that happened this week in film. And uh, yeah. What are we doing next week? Next week is going to be a lot of fun. You
0: know, it'll be uh, just after Thanksgiving. So uh, we figured we'd have a little bit of, a little bit of family fun, change the pace up a bit. We're going to center the episode around, Beauty and the Beast from 1991 and we will be talking a lot about the Disney 90s run that would not include Pixar that would be the you know Walt Disney Animation Studios Beauty and the Beast to Tarzan 1991 to 1999 we'll we'll talk about all that stuff we'll give some awards out for Beauty and the Beast Uh, talk a bit about that Academy Awards because Beauty and the Beast was up for Best Picture the first animated movie to ever do so uh we're, we're going to have a lot of fun with that. Change of pace. Um it'll be our first animated movie on this show. We're very excited.
1: Hell yeah, I'm very psyched to go back into Disney. Their 90s run was my childhood, straight up. And uh Yeah. going to be fun. To, there's a lot of those films I haven't seen in a long time, so that'll be that'll be a great deal of fun.
0: Yeah, and obviously they're all on Disney Plus, so you can yeah. check those out and uh it's, you know, it's let's see if we can name them all. Uh, we got Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, uh, Hunchback, Mulan, Hercules, uh, Tarzan's at the end. Uh, what am I missing? Pocahontas. Pocahontas. There you go. Oh, well, that's funny. Cause that's my least favorite. Uh, <laughs> Straight up. Yep, yeah. Me too. Yeah. And Beauty and the Beast is is, is up there. I, I really, really enjoy it. And I think it's right that we do that one first because it's the first animated movie to be up for best picture. Yes. Indeed. Uh, not to be, not to be confused with the, Best Animated Award didn't come around until uh, 2002, representing the films from 2001, where Shrek won. So it's a lot, a lot of interesting history with animated movies, and Beauty and the Beast seems like a good spot to start.
1: Yeah, I mean, it'll be cool. I mean, there's no way it was going to take you know Best Picture away from Silence of the Lambs, but we'll we'll talk about that a bit next week.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's not really really a conversation, but we will talk about how amazing. <laughs> We'll talk about how amazing it is that Beauty and the Beast got into that that
1: group. Yes, yes, indeed. And um, we got a very special filmgasm for you this week. Um, our newest team member, uh, Julie Cervantes, is doing her first episode with me on 2015's The Gift. So we'll have that for you next Wednesday. And uh, yeah, already recorded that, had a blast. And uh, once again, welcome to the team, Julie. Hell yeah, can't wait. Joel Egerton,
0: Jason Bateman. Awesome, awesome stuff. The gift is great, and I can't wait to hear that episode. And uh, I think Julie is going to be a wonderful addition to what we're doing here.
1: Oh yeah, man. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. This was a this was a powerful one. We uh, we went deep on this one.
0: <laughs> yeah, expect expect that you know on these best picture showdowns, you know we're going to be, you know, trying to talk about you know a highlight and talk about five films and really really dive into the one that won. Uh, and in this case it happened to be a movie that we both love that won't always happen you know with hamlet we didn't really like it uh, there will be years where we will disagree or we'll think that it wasn't that great uh it just so
1: happens that 1979 we're both we're both all in on kramer just wait till we get to 2005 that's gonna be interesting oh <laughs> yeah thanks for listening everybody check out the gift Uh, Next Wednesday, Beauty and the Beast. Next Sunday, we'll see you then.